Welcome to episode four of the Exponential Performance Podcast. Now in this episode, we're mixing things up a bit, doing things slightly differently. I jump into two listener Q&A straight off the bat, and then I jump in to a really cool interview with world multi-sport champion Sam Clark. That's enough from me. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Now, I'm not even going to try and say how long this podcast is going to be because the last two that I've done, I've said how long they're going to be. First one was under that. Second one was over that. So I'm aiming for about 60 minutes here. First time I did it was around 40 minutes. Second time it blew out to 90 minutes. I think 60 minutes is probably a good length to go. If you guys think otherwise, let me know. How long would you like this podcast to be? How long is too long? How short is too short? I think 60 minutes is probably a good place to start. So that's what I'm going to aim for today. Now, it would be greatly appreciated if you could give this podcast a like, a thumbs up, depending on what platform you are, a wee comment about what you enjoyed, uh, what you'd like to see more of, share it around. The more people we can get this out to, the better, so this podcast can grow and become more sustainable moving forward. We should be now fully operational over on iTunes, so if you haven't Uh, been over to iTunes, make sure you get over there. Feel free to leave a wee review as well. It'll be greatly appreciated. If you haven't already, make sure you check out my Instagram account. Get over there and follow me there. I share a lot of things on Instagram that I don't share elsewhere. Little tips, bit of inspiration, motivation, things that I've been up to. So get over there and check that out. My username is Matty, M-A-T-T-Y-E-P-C. Right. How this is going to work today is going to be slightly different to the past podcast. I've got some listener Q&A that I want to jump straight into. There's some really cool questions in there that I want to dig into quite deeply. Uh, and then following that, we've got an interview with Sam Clark, World Multisport Champion. So here we go. First question for listener Q&A. surf ski paddler from South Africa doing long distance surf ski races. I'd just like to know what a, a, a decent training program would kind of start to look like. And um, another question would be, what does overtraining look like? So there's our first voice question. Thank you very much for submitting it. And how cool is that all the way from South Africa? Now this question, I also received uh, an email about it. So Hopefully we can piece the two together and answer the question uh, for the person as best as possible. And I think what he left out in the voice message and that he had in his email was about periodization. So I really want to dig into periodization today, not just specifically for surf ski paddling, but I will concentrate on that, but periodization as a whole as well. So what would a program look like on the whole in the big picture. So what I want to do is talk today about linear periodization. Now linear periodization is the traditional model using uh, the image of a pyramid where you build a nice wide base and the bigger and the wider you build this base the higher you can build your race speed on top of this. So what's at the bottom of our pyramid? The first thing we need to look at is your technique and your skills. And this is particularly important for paddle related sports, uh, kayaking, surf ski paddling, that sort of thing. Because it's involving water, technique becomes very important, just like swimming. You don't want to be fighting against it. So the first phase of your training, assuming that you've got quite a long build up to this key race that you're working towards, somewhere between zero to six weeks. And the reason I say zero to six weeks 
is because that even though elite athletes can really benefit from stepping back, putting time into their technique and skills in the early season, for some athletes, it's just not possible because of the racing schedule. And so often this gets cut out of elite athletes training programs or will just be included at a certain time of the year. So during this, this base phase of technique and skill development, the training adaptations that you'll get are primarily neuromuscular in nature. And what this means is it's all about firing the correct nervous pathways to activate specific muscle groups in a specific order to perform the specific technique of whatever you're doing, in this case, surf ski paddling. Often during this phase, athletes are trying to break a faulty technique habit um, that's been ingrained over years um, of incorrect movement. So this training phase can often be physically and mentally quite hard and frustrating as you try and override that strongly ingrained uh, technique that you're trying to change. So athletes that are new to the sport, I'm not too sure how new this listener is to long distance surf ski paddling, but athletes that are new, especially to kayaking and that sort of a, a sport, they should spend a lot of, of their training time in this phase because that's going to give them the biggest benefit. They're going to get a lot of adaptations very quickly and they're going to improve their speed very quickly because they're performing the right technique rather than doing an inefficient technique and sort of trying to cover it up with fitness. So now you've trained your body to perform the correct movement patterns in your technique and skill phase. Now it's time to get your body ready to repeat these movements for a prolonged period of time. So this is your endurance phase. Now endurance, this endurance base building is synonymous with long steady distance training. And while this is a very important part of it, that's not everything. There are other ways that we can improve your endurance if you don't have the time to invest into the endurance training. This can be done through repeated high intensity interval training. Uh, I don't want to dig too much into that at the moment in this podcast, but what I'll do is I've written an article about this and I'll post a link to that article over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website in the show notes of this podcast. So during this base endurance phase, the physiological adaptations that occur are an increase in blood volume, an increase in heart size, so your heart gets bigger, you get more blood, and you get a bigger pump and more blood to pump through that heart. You get an increase in capillarization of the muscles that you're training, so there's more blood vessels going to the muscle, so you can increase blood uh, delivery and oxygen delivery. You increase the production of mitochondria, which are the little powerhouses of the muscle. And you also increase your body's ability to metabolize fat as a fuel. And all of these adaptations lead to an increase in endurance capacity. So you're able to go longer. Also during this training phase, it helps athletes develop their confidence and their, and their ability to complete the distance or the times of the, of the goal race. Now, how long should this endurance phase be? This endurance phase can last anywhere from about two to 10 weeks. And the reason there's such a big variation there, it depends on the, the nature of the event, it depends on the athlete and their ability, uh, and their other races, what has come before this, whether this is a wee endurance top up, or whether it's a full on back to basics, uh, base rebuild. So the thing with this base endurance phase is the reason why it comes first is one, because we build everything on top of it, but two, it takes quite a while for these adaptations to occur. So if you can think back to those adaptations, uh, increase in blood volume, heart size, capillarization, increased production of mitochondria and fat metabolism, all of these things are quite structural in nature, meaning that things in the body have to be produced, more blood vessels, more red blood cells, um, more mitochondria, all of those things require time to be produced. But on the flip side, if you stop training, you tend to hold on to these for quite a long time. And you've probably been in the situation where you've stopped training 
and you've still got your base endurance there even though you haven't been training much but you don't have that race sharpness anymore and we'll move on to that um, in, in, a, in a minute so once we've got that base endurance done what we want to do is start performing the correct technique that we've already dialed in over and over again our endurance with some grunt putting some force behind it we want to develop our strength so after our skills and technique comes that endurance after our endurance becomes our strength development now when most people think of strength training they think of gym based weight training and while this is one way to develop your strength there are many other ways as well uh, for endurance athletes there are many other ways to improve your strength apart from hitting the gym so for example for um, kayakers or surf ski paddlers like uh, in question here using bungees wrapped around your boat to increase drag or resistance increasing um, paddle blades or paddle lengths all that's going to help and improve your strength in the boat um, if you're running hills if you're cycling hills as well um, in the pool using um, paddles on the bike as well you can use bigger gears to improve that strength you can also do strength training in the gym which I highly recommend for athletes if you're a paddle athlete get over to the exponential performance website and check out paddle strong this is a e-package that I've put together that 100% focuses in on strength training specifically for kayakers and not just what to do but how and when to do it the periodization of the strength training as well and if you're a cyclist get over and check out ride strong again it is specific strength training for cyclists so I'll put those in the show notes so you can check those out as well so the focus during the strength phase is increasing your muscles ability to generate force and why that is important is force is a component of power so the more force you can produce uh, the potential is there to have increase in power so the main physiological adaptations that occur over this power over the strength phase sorry is an increase in the contractility of your muscle fibers and also you start to progress the adaptations that were in the endurance phase and this phase again depending on the athlete and the target race lasts typically around two to eight weeks so once you've ticked off the underlying skills and technique you put in a good base phase working on your endurance and then you have worked on your strength now you're ready to get your body ready to move fast and also the body's ability to hold that for a prolonged period of time your speed now most people think of speed training as you know 100 meter sprints and this is not the case for endurance athletes typically but it can be utilized the key focus for endurance athletes and especially in this case surf ski paddlers the focus should be on the development of your speed endurance and being able to sustain the highest possible speed for the longest possible time which will result in a faster finishing time so what happens during the speed phase the main adaptations that occur during the speed phase are improvements in the anaerobic enzymes increased uh, lactate buffering so your body's able to buffer more lactate lactate clearance and an increase in your pain tolerance being able to cope with really hard high intensity work many of these training adaptations are enzymatic in nature which means that they happen relatively quickly compared to say our endurance phase if you remember a lot of those adaptations were structural so these enzymatic changes happen quite quickly or these chemical changes in the body and that's why you can often improve your speed relatively quickly compared to your base phase and in saying that as well this is why you often lose your race sharpness or your top end quite quickly when you stop training because these changes aren't structural are chemical so they disappear relatively quickly so depending on the length of an athlete's build-up training history goals the rest of it this speed phase is typically around two to eight weeks so the newer athlete um, coming into competition this tends to be shorter 
whereas more experienced athletes need to have this longer. All right, so following on from that speed phase comes for some athletes the development of the explosive power. So for our surf ski paddler, long distance surf ski paddler, many people would think, well, they don't actually need much top end power because you know it's a long distance endurance event. But for in this case, I would highly recommend you get out and you do some you do some power work, just so that you can uh, you know put in you know five or six really powerful strokes when it counts to catch a wave to hold on to someone's wash, whatever it might be. And the main training adaptations that occur during this phase are neuromuscular, um, along with fine tuning of your VO2 max and your anaerobic threshold. Typically, you want somewhere between two to six weeks of this sort of training, again, depending on your training age, um, the athlete and the goals. So, a very long-winded um, explanation of periodization and how that is structured. So for um, our surf ski paddler, let's bring it back and focus on that. So our first phase, technique and skills. We really wanna focus on doing our paddling sessions focused on our technique. Um, if your stability is a little off, some time spent on your stability during this phase would, be, would go a long, long way. So technique, skills, um, depending on how you go out in the big water, you might wanna put some time um, out, in, out in the waves, working on your boat handling, um, catching runners, that sort of thing. Moving on to that second phase, endurance. During this phase for our surf ski paddler, it's gonna be about getting in some long steady paddles, especially on the weekends. And then during the week, because you probably don't have as much time if you're working a you know, standard job, what we're able to do is do slightly shorter some steady, some higher intensity sessions during the week to make up for that lack of time. Traditionally, it would be sort of long steady stuff throughout the week as well, but it's not always able to be done for you know recreational weekend warrior type athletes. Into our strength phase in the boat, what I, what I said before, using bungees around the boat, um, increasing your paddle length, the size of your paddle blades can all help develop that strength in the boat. Outside of the boat, I would highly suggest strength training throughout this whole um, build up with the focus matching what you're doing on the water. Um, and it's not so much about what you're doing in the gym, but how you're doing it and when you're doing it. And I've got a lot more about that in Paddle Strong, and you can download a free insight into Paddle Strong. And in the introduction there, I go through a lot about how to structure training and what to match up where. Moving into our speed speed phase, this would really focus on anaerobic threshold development. If you can think of VO2 max as your total engine size, and then anaerobic threshold is the proportion of your engine size that you can use for a sustained period. So it doesn't matter how big your engine is, you could beat someone with a bigger engine if you could use a larger proportion of yours. So developing that anaerobic threshold, and anaerobic threshold intervals um, are typically based on a two to one work to recovery ratio, which means you work for twice as long as you recover. The whole idea of these is that you build up large amounts of metabolic waste products in the, in the body, such as lactate and hydrogen ions, and the body improves its ability to deal with those and get rid of those and metabolize them uh, so that you can uh, improve your sustainable speed. So a typical session for anaerobic threshold development, may a classic one that I always use with a lot of my athletes is four or five four minute intervals with two minutes of recovery. Once you've done that session a couple of times, you can start progressing the work intervals. And again, that work to recovery ratio is really important. So two to one, so however long you work, you take half of that time off as recovery. So you're getting a partial recovery, but not a full recovery. So those metabolic byproducts start to build up in the body, exposing your body to higher and higher levels. So it gets better at dealing with them. So after that speed phase would be a little bit of a polishing phase, working on our power. And 
really focus on some short hard intervals in there um, some examples could be doing some 30 second maximal efforts get yourself up to speed um, and once you've got 30 second maximal efforts sorted you can start to push it out 45 seconds start to push it out so hopefully that gives you a bit of an idea about what a training plan for a long distance surf ski event would look like in terms of linear periodization now there is also another model um, which i'll mention quickly called multi-tier periodization and rather than that pyramid shape this is just a, a square essentially and that you work on everything at once rather than emphasizing different things at different times and multi-tiered periodization is really good for I, I've used it really effectively for athletes that have got a lot of races um, rather than one pinnacle event or as a way to get them ready in a very short amount of time for a specific race that's come up they've been called into the sponsors have said that they need to go and do so we don't have time to do a nice ramped periodization linear periodization model it's like we've got to get as fit as possible as quick as possible let's use a multi-tiered training approach if you want to learn more about um, linear and multi-tiered periodization head over to the exponential performance website and download a free copy of the performance temple handbook in this introductory handbook I've got a whole section on periodization that'll help you step you through it I'll put a note to that in the show notes so everyone can get over and check that out so it's a free download help yourself let me know if you've got any questions about it so that's what the big overall picture of a training program would look like it's a little bit hard to talk through the intricate details of week-to-week day-to-day training over a podcast but if you've got more questions please let me know and we'll, we'll try and build on this so everyone that's out there who's trying to develop their own training plans can hopefully get a better understanding of what they're trying to achieve the other part of the question that i quickly want to touch on is what does overtraining look like overtraining is a very complex uh, syndrome as it's as it's termed now the overtraining syndrome and i don't really like to think of it as overtraining what i really like to think of it as as under resting because that's essentially what it is it doesn't matter how much you train if you give your body enough time to recover from it then nothing's ever a problem it's when you start not recovering enough is when the problems start happening so what does training overtraining look like well if you're feeling fatigued all the time that's a very good sign other signs include insomnia so not only are you knackered from training you can't actually give your body this important sleep that it needs to recover from it so if you're having trouble sleeping it's also a good indication that you're overtrained or under rested uh, other symptoms include um, persistent muscle soreness elevated resting heart rate and we talked about that in a previous podcast episode about elevated heart rates because the stress hormones are fizzing around the body it jacks up your heart rate at rest um, you're probably getting sick quite a lot because your immune system is suppressed um, if you've got lots of little niggly injuries that you can't get rid of another sign that you're you know down heading down the slippery slope of overtraining um, being very irritable just because those stress hormones are cranked up probably quite low on energy you're tired all those things lead to irritability um, a loss of motivation for your training is, is very common as well so it's not just a physical thing it's very uh, psychological as well a decrease in appetite so not only are you tired you can't get the sleep that you need you've got persistent muscle soreness you don't actually feel like you want to eat to get the fuel and all of the ingredients into your body that are needed for repair and recovery so it's a little bit of a vicious cycle here as well and then another very common sign of overtraining is rapid weight loss so that's what overtraining looks like in a nutshell 
And what you really need to do is to recover from it, to give your body the time that it needs to build back out of this deep dark hole. So hopefully that answers the question um, about what would a training program look like for a long distance surf ski race and also what does overtraining look like. When you send your voice messages in, please be as specific as you can so I can give you the best answer so you can train smarter. So moving on to our next question. It's David from Auckland here. Uh, I'm a surf ski paddler and I do most of my training before work, uh, getting on the water any time between sort of 5 and 6 a.m. Uh, so generally I'll have a pretty, uh, pretty early start to my day. I'll scoff a banana and uh, have a glass of water while I get changed in the morning and then I'm out the door sort of uh, as late as possible to, to try and maximize my sleep. Um, my question is around um, how can you kickstart your body early in the morning like that um, so that you can put in a good hard session um, without sort of feeling nauseous like I sometimes can do um, when I'm coming to the end of some of the some of the sort of pretty hard efforts um, just after some yeah tips or tricks ways that I can sort of maximize and, and kickstart get things going um, yeah just so I can to get the most out of my sessions thank you thanks for that question David um, interesting that we've got another surf ski paddler on the line as well if you've got a question and you want it answered, please send me through a voice message question like these guys have done. I'm going to prioritize those over the written messages. I've been getting so many emails for the podcast for questions for topics to be covered. If you really want to hear your question or your topic covered, send me a voice message and I'm going to prioritize getting those on the podcast first. So early morning trainings. How can you get the fuel in that's needed to perform well in your session? Typically, what the nutrition uh, experts recommend pre-training is to consume your pre-training meal somewhere between one to three hours before exercise. Now that's not very practical when you're getting up so early in the morning. So what is really key is that your fueling for the session the next day almost starts the night before you need to make sure that you're getting your recovery nutrition sorted following your session the day before and this is really important to top up your muscle glycogen and your muscle glycogen is simply the stored carbohydrates in your muscle that fuels your exercise or your training now the other place the body stores glycogen is in the liver and overnight your liver glycogen keeps your brain ticking over. So when you wake up after your overnight fast, your muscle glycogen should still be intact from the, from the day before as long as you have taken care of your recovery nutrition. But what we need to do is top up our liver glycogen because this is going to be empty. For Paddle sports such as surf ski paddlers, uh, multi-sporters in the kayak. Nutrition during and before and during your session becomes a little more important than say cyclists or runners. And this is because of the small muscle mass used in the, the kayaking movement. Now I'm very aware that kayaking isn't just using your arm. It is a full body activity. But the main muscle groups that are used in the upper body are a lot smaller than the main primary muscles used in the lower body for sports such as cycling and running. And what that means for your muscle glycogen is there is less muscle glycogen stored in the upper body musculature than in the lower body musculature. So what we really need to focus on is if we do have a hard session in the morning, we need to get something in some carbohydrate in to make sure we're well fueled so we're able to hit the intensities that are required so with that in mind what can we eat well it's really up to you it's very very personal um, David mentioned a banana perfect 
you know, a smoothie can go down quite well. That's you know relatively high in carbohydrate. Muesli bars, you know, very quick and convenient. Uh, and then we move into things such as our sports drinks and our gels. Sports drinks and gels aren't great for your general health, um, but at a push, they are a very effective and convenient way of getting in your carbohydrate requirement, say before an early session such as this. So you wanna be aiming for somewhere between 30 to 60 grams as long before your session as you can without affecting your sleep. It may be you know, having a muesli bar as you head down to the water. It may be you know, grabbing a banana, whatever it is, as you head out the door. And then potentially sipping on some sports drink um, as you, you know, get your boat ready and you, and you push off. The other thing you could do if you had a really key session um, that you wanted to make sure you were hitting your training intensities for was to supplement with some caffeine. Now, usually I suggest avoiding caffeine within the first hour of waking up. And this is just to let your body's natural surge of hormones take their appropriate action within the body. They help wake you up and boost you into the day. If you're having caffeine within the first hour, what ends up happening is the body doesn't need to release as many hormones because the caffeine is giving you the pick-me-up. And what happens over time is you become more and more dependent on caffeine. It has less and less of an effect and your body does less and less of the natural process. So if you are going to have caffeine, try and leave it an hour after you, you wake up. But if you're just doing it as a one-off, you know, once every week, once or twice a week to really nail your training sessions in the morning. You could pop a caffeine tablet when you wake up or have a coffee, however your choose, chosen mode is, approximately one hour before your training session so that your caffeine blood levels are, are peaking as you get on the water and you're really able to give it everything for these training sessions in the morning. Now the other option is you could always do the session fasted. Now I wouldn't suggest doing this all the time, but key times when you could do a fasted session was if your session was quite short, less than an hour, or if your session was specifically endurance focused, so steady state, or if it was an easy technique focused session. Those three things mean that with a technique session, less than an hour, not really that hard, you've got enough muscle glycogen, a steady state less than an hour, again, you've got probably enough muscle glycogen on board to, to fuel it, and also fat stores as well that will start being cranked up. And then for your endurance development, fasted training can help uh, maximize endurance uh, development through increasing fat oxidation. Because when your body runs low on energy, there's a cascade of events that happen to stimulate your body to produce more mitochondria, those little powerhouses within the muscle that metabolize fuel and produce energy. So if your focus is on endurance development, fasted training can be quite effective, but make sure it's done at the right time so it doesn't impact your other training. In saying that, if your training focus is on intensity, and that means if you're doing intervals, anything to do with improving your threshold or your power, then proper fueling before it is a must. Because if you don't have the required muscle glycogen, you're not gonna be able to hit the required training intensities. So don't think I'm not gonna eat breakfast ever again and I'm just gonna go out and do fasted sessions. Fasted training sessions are a specific tool to be used at a specific time. So I hope that helps answer this question, David. Just out of interest, what are people's favorite foods pre-training for those early morning training sessions? What are your go-tos? Post a wee comment below, whatever platform you're listening on, or send me a personal message. Let me know what your personal favorites are for those early morning training sessions. Now, I'm very excited to bring you this interview. I sat down with the current World Multi-Sport Champion Sam Clark. And we had a really good chat 
about what really makes him tick, what went down in his epic showdown with Braden Curry at this year's Coast to Coast. And he also gives us a little bit of an insight uh, and some tips for those people competing in the Coast to Coast. So without further ado, let's jump into that. Here's the interview with Sam Clark. kick us off give us a bit of a background of uh of yourself and your racing and where you've come from and how you got into it all yeah so uh feel as though i've been been doing multi-sport racing since i was a bit of a dot um i did would have done my first multi-sport race oh back when i was about 13 or 14 um which would have been uh takatani's monty's revenge um and Ever since then, I sort of just gone and gone bigger and, and bigger and, and, and longer events. Really, um, we started out, started out doing doing tries back in the real early days. Um, found out that I was much better at paddling than swimming. Um, I still am. Um, still haven't quite nailed the um, the Ironman swim that kind of thing. I've got a, a PB of about 54, but nowhere near close to what it needs to be. But yeah. Um, Yes, been in it for a few years now, and and um, yeah, finally nailed the big one in a, in a pretty major way that I'm ha- actually happy with. Yeah, nice one, mate. So um, so talk us through this year's coast to coast, even yeah, right from the start, right from the start. Probably um, probably started about three months before the actual race. In fact, when um, I went out and and uh, and bought myself a new whitewater kayak and was thinking like hell, um, bugger coast to coast. I'm going to spend the um, I'm going to spend the summer um, doing laps of the kai tuna. But somehow um, somewhere along the line, those those plans changed, and I'm quite happy that they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, I, shortly after that, I, I got back into got back into the uh, into the big long pointy boat and 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 started to feel started to feel pretty good about things again and 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 started making some some good progress and on the bike and in the run and, and in the boat so yeah so uh, no, it was about, it was about a month out when I started to be really 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 enthused about coast to coast again um having done it the year before and and um and and won it in a in a fairly convincing way um I, I was a little bit worried in fact that um that coming into the race Especially with Braden um, back in the loop, that if when when we reached crunch time and inevitably it it, um, it would and it did, that I wouldn't sort of I wouldn't want to fight for it as much as I did the previous year. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, anyway, um, the race kind of panned out in, in the way that I expected it would, um, with Braden and Courtney Atkinson in the in the in the bunch there, so. That first three kilometres up from the beach was at just close to suicide pace, um, and then we worked harder than um, harder than what I was what I was used to uh, on on the first ride, and then just straight out of the gates once we reached um, once we reached um, Aitken's corner there, Aiden was off, um, and pretty soon he was out of the he he was out of sight. Um, it was kind of a conscious effort of mine um, not to chase him down um, the previous year I, I think I'd done 256 over the pass which um, which was good but um, it, w- it was my plan to save everything um, all my energy and, and um, all my matches for the um, for the sort of the late, later stages of the race and and really Capitalise on um, on the on the kayak stage, which I was aware that was my uh, my point of strength. Yeah, and um, yeah, off the off the run, Braden had um, about what well, the time we got into the boat, he was just on 14 minutes ahead. And I'd kind of thought about it a bit before the race, and um, I kind of knew in the back of my mind he, he, that if um, I was that it would he would have to have maybe 20 minutes on me going into the boat in order to get away. So I was sort of 
in, in my own mind, I was quite confident. And um, I just felt once I got into the boat, that was where the race was really, really going to um, begin for me. You know, heading down the river, um, as soon as I started, um, or as soon as I knew that I was uh, that I was gaining time on him, um, not quite as fast as I um, as I'd hoped that I would, um, but I was gaining time on him um, right throughout the right throughout the paddle, and by the end, I was only two and a half minutes in it, and. Um, Again, yeah, business time again on the bike, and um, yeah, took the lead with about forty-five kilometres to go, and yeah, just hammered it home. Managed to and put was, in, was it about eight minutes? Put about eight minutes into him over that final thirty. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that was just that was just a really good ride for me. Blazing, <laughs> mate. What was uh, what was going through your head when you got on that bike? Well, um, I was well. Braden's no slouch on the bike. Um, I've been doing doing a lot of work myself on there as well, um, and I was pretty confident that I was going to be able to catch him. But what I what I was worried about going past him that he was going to jump on my wheel. So um, I got I rode up. Um, I probably uh, I used, used a lot of energy to get, actually get up to him, mm. and so I got within a couple of hundred meters of um, of him at the time. Had a couple of gels, um, a sip of coke, and sort of like sort of regrouped and kind of got back in the zone. Then I actually set my um, I actually set my stopwatch on my watch for five minutes, dialed it up to forty five minutes, and I thought, well, okay, I've got to sit on forty five um, forty five k's an hour for five minutes, which is what I did because mm-hmm. I just wanted to get out, trying to get away out of sight, out of mind, and then go from there. How um. How deep did you have to dig to to pull that off? Oh, that's um, it's probably the hard the hardest I've fought um in in any race. It was um, it's giving it absolute death. Yeah, because I heard in interviews and sort of read that you know you you you'd never focused that hard before and you know pushed that hard before in your life. What changed or what? You know, how did you get into that headspace of being able to drill it more than you ever had before? To be completely honest with you, um, I had a bit, a bit of a rev up um, two weeks out from the race from uh, a guy called Tino Tabak, who's New Zealand's most successful ever Tour de France rider, and so I just sat down with him, and he just makes, and he's sort of um, more or less just said to me like, "You got to go, you got to go into all, all your races just." Um, not expecting to win, but with that, with the right winning attitude, you're going there. You're a professional, and and you're going in there to win. It's um, it's not about just doing your best and thinking about okay, I'm going to go into this and doing my best. It's about going in and going, yes, I am going to win this thing, and um, and that's what I kept in my mind the whole day, going there, like this is this is why I'm here, and, and I can absolutely do this, and um, yeah, just that, just that, just that never stop fighting attitude because you know it isn't over till it's over. Exactly right, and having that uh, that self confidence and that self belief as well, when you are behind, is is super hard to have as well. You know. Well, I mean, um, when you get two um, two athletes that are even evenly matched, you've got the same kind of equipment, you've done most of the same training. The the key difference between the two is going to be the um, the mental factor. I mean, it counts for a lot and. And over a race that is um, 11 hours long, keeping keeping that focus is, is you know it's is, it's it's absolutely crucial. Staying in the zone, staying focused, not um, not not daydreaming or anything like that. 100%, 100%. Because a lot of people often think you know how much of a performance is physical, how much is you know mental. Sort of throw numbers around there: 50, 50, 90, 10, or whatever. But in actual fact, it's 100% of both. You know, you've got to be 100% physically prepared and 100% mentally prepared as well. Well, that's right. Well, one just can't exist without the other. That's exactly right. If you had to look back on your build-up for the coast-to-coast and not wanting to give too many of your secrets away, is there anything that you did differently or prepared on a slightly different angle this year than you did in previous years, apart from... But the potential mental shift that you've had. Um, for this race, um, I had a lot of help on the nutritional side of things from Emily Miazga. 
who was actually was really generous with their time and was my support crew as one of my support crewmen for the race. So um, we did all the calculations of what I was going to eat and and just basically determined that you eat this much and you are not going to blow up throughout the day. You stick to this plan. And again, like that gave that also gave me an awful lot of confidence during um, during the day. Going, okay, look, I've, I've eaten as much as um, as we calculated, and I'm feeling really good, so it must be working. And I think throughout the day, I almost ate a solid um, solid thousand grams of, of carbs. So um, it was about 960 from memory of carbs between that uh, between gels and bars and coke and and um, and sports drinks. So um, the tank was just chocker the entire way. I think I don't think I've eaten as much um, during race um, in my entire life. It's, it, was, it was really good. That's awesome. Mate. You got to fuel the machine, eh? Yeah, and it was and it was quite enlightening because for the for the pre- previous two editions of that race, I thought I'd actually I'd I'd absolutely dialed my nutrition in perfectly, and um, just just to go from there and um, just really step it up a notch. Utilising um, someone who's that's their profession to um, to calculate what you need to be eating and how much of it and when it was just um, it was just the icing on the cake and, and made you know could have made all the difference. That's awesome. Probably leads in quite well to a question that we had from one of our listeners about about your nutrition. What's your so you, you covered your sort of racing approach just then? What is your sort of general day to day nutrition approach? Um. Generally, day to day, it's just more of a case of, of um, trying not to try not to overdo it. I don't um, I don't subscribe to too many of the like the, of the of the fair diets and stuff that are sort of going around these days. Um, I um, I generally just I eat I'm eat when I eat when I'm hungry on the bike. Um, I eat a lot of eat a lot of greens. Um, you know. Um, yeah, I, I just try to I just try to eat sensibly and just be conscious of of what I'm doing and how that equates to what I need to be fueling with as well. So just trying not to, to um, overdo one or the other. Yeah, mate, that's uh, that's very refreshing to hear. You know, because there is so much uh, I don't know opinion, emotion, um, and different thoughts on on nutrition, and especially coming from maybe not trained nutritionists as well. So. It's nice to hear, um, you know, someone of your level having a nice, you know, sensible approach to nutrition. I try not to stress too much about it. Um, uh, there are a lot of people out there who, who who do give it a lot of thought, and I mean, it, it is worth um, certainly worth thinking about, but not to um, not to your detriment. Um, there are, are like, at the end of the day, really, the training and your recovery is the most important thing you can do. And then. Um, what what really drives you, Sam, and what motivates you in your training? Um, I just I just really enjoy um, working towards a goal, seeing that constant improvement, and um, yeah, it, and just yeah, working towards the goal and, and achieving it. I mean, particularly with coast, um, with, with like with the likes of coast to coast, there are very few times in many people's lives that you get to achieve one of those long sought after goals where the outcome of which isn't guaranteed and once you get it across the line there's no better feeling than that and and what what drives me is just the pursuit of those um of, of that feeling it's uh yeah that just that that real deep and meaningful reward really um and there's the the constant quest for self-improvement too yeah fantastic another question that we had from um from some of our listeners is what was your what's your favorite race that you've done and why was it your favorite um, coast to coast is definitely one of my favourite races, but um, over the last couple of years, I've been pretty lucky uh, in that I've been a, a member of the Tula Adventure Team, um, which are based over in Sweden. So my last two New Zealand winters have been based over there, and they've got some really great and quite unique um, multi-sport races, including their, um, their European champs in order. Um, which is a 28k paddle, um, big 15 kilometer run up over a, a big snowy mountain, and then a, uh, um, and then a great mountain bike around the bottom. And um, I've done that for the past two years, and that's definitely one of my favourite races. Um, 
it's actually started by a Kiwi got by the name of James Minamore kind of to um, introduce the New Zealand style of multi-sport to the Scandinavians and um, yeah, it really fits fits in really nicely. It's a yeah a wonderful race and certainly one that I'd recommend any multi-sporter from New Zealand doing uh, if they're in, if they find themselves in that part of the world. Yeah, mate, it, it looks epic as well from um you know the photos and the videos that you see of it. It looks incredible. Yes, well um it's it's quite a climb up over the up over Autoskuten, which is the big um which is the big snowy mountain. And running with running using hiking poles is another challenge that last or oh, the year before last rather um i hadn't quite grasped and um completely just blew out um trying to run through um just about waist deep snow towards the summit but, you know you live and learn and i came back uh, came back last year and um and took it out which was which was great if you had to give your top tips for the coast to coast let's say top three what would they be i'd say primarily um for anybody starting out and um, and working towards the coast to coast, just focus on incremental improvements. Um, coast to coast and and multi sport just in uh, in general is a multifaceted, multi skilled kind of discipline where um, if you try and focus on too many things at once, you're just going to end up getting nothing done. So just focus on one small part of it. Say, just um, becoming more confident in in a, in a fast kayak or um, learning to learning to read the rivers or, or something just focus, just focusing on one small part of the game um, nailing that and then then moving on to the next thing because um, if you try and focus on too many things at once you're just going to go nowhere probably the next one would be um, along a similar veins don't try and um, don't try and um, improve too fast um, work up to things slowly um, building um, building big fitness base that you need does take time um and um don't be don't be disheartened if it doesn't happen all at once because if you stick with it it will come um, those long rides long runs and and long paddles they do eventually pay off and then the third the third one would just be um you know, enjoy the journey um not just through through the for the sporting reasons it's a you know it's a many people and pros often lose lose sight of this it's a, it's a tremendous achievement really you're going from one side of the country to um to the other in a day and yeah for a lot of people out there that's um you know that, that could be the highlight of a lifetime so just um enjoy enjoy what you're doing and, and don't lose sight of what you're actually what you are actually doing and stay in the moment yeah i think that's an extremely key one eh? there's it always amazes me the amount of people that do multi-sport um, and you know other endurance events who just seem to hate every minute of it and be completely unhappy every time they do a race. Um, yeah, well, you know, for some people, doing these events is um, a bit like getting massaged. It's pretty painful in the moment, but you feel great afterwards. But um, yeah, just yeah, it just pays to you know, not lose sight of what you're doing and 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 the reasons that you're doing it for. Exactly right, mate. Exactly right. So what um what do the future what's the future hold for Sam Clark and his multi sport uh, escapades? Well, I've taken um yeah I've taken a big step and I've entered into a extreme triathlon in the south of south of France called the Ombren Man, and that's right up there. It's been labelled as you know, one of the world's hardest hardest races in the in the cycling course alone. There's 3,800 meters of climbing and it's enough to make the, even the toughest pros eyes water which is you know Damn. one of the reasons that I've I've, I've, um, I've picked it as a, as a um, as my race and my target for the next six months to work up to that um, I haven't quite yet developed the speed the raw speed um, required to compete toe-to-toe with the best guys on on flatter courses like um, like in Taupo so I'm, I'm heading for the hills and um, just trying to find a few real, really tough races to um, to get under my belt before, um, well, just to really cut my teeth on in the in the, um, in the triathlon side of things before I move before I move on to more competitive races. Oh, so is that an iron distance race, um, just with a lot of climbing in it, or is it longer? Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. So I. I believe it's a um the swim is also at altitude um 
the you know, 3.8k swim, 180k bike, and um, with the 3,800 meters of climbing in it. Um, so I'm a bit nervous even just thinking about it now. <laughs> and um, and then a further 500 meters of of elevation on the on the run as well. So it's um it's a it's a fairly honest days out, and um the finishing times seem to be quite comparable with with coast to coast as well. So um I know if I can if I can handle it over that over that length of time, well. With any luck, I'll be able to handle it, handle it, handle it on this one as well. Yeah, awesome, mate. Well, I um, I look forward to hearing how that goes, and be great to have a catch up after that, and just have a see how it all went. Yeah, well, you know, well, it'll be an interesting year for sure. Yeah, awesome, mate. Best of luck with that. Um, you know, while multi sports an individual sport uh, on the day, obviously you can't do all these things by yourself. No doubt, there's a bunch of people sponsors that you you know give a shout out to while i've got you here well i've been pretty lucky over the last couple of years to have the support of suzuki new zealand um they give me a really nice vehicle to cruise around and it makes me makes me feel pretty professional and um you know it's just the suzuki the suzuki vitara is a great new zealand a great car for new zealand conditions super fuel efficient and comfy to drive so if you're in the market for a new car worth looking at <laughs> um Bike Barn, um, they've been supplying my bikes for the last couple of years. Um, Merida make great bikes. Um, they're perhaps not, not the they're perhaps not the most sexy choice on um, sexy choices out there at the moment, but you know they are great. They are great bikes, and um, at the end of the day, for the athlete, it is the it is the motor that counts. Exactly right, mate. And uh, made in the same factory as Specialized, and by the same people as Specialized, eh? Yeah, that's exactly right too. And um, I've been, yeah, and I've been actually really fortunate um, to have Rob Gallimore as my coach, and and looking over my training plans for the last um, for the last couple of years as well. So he's been a really good guiding influence. Yeah, his um, his background is more in the um, the Ironman training kind of kind of sphere, but um, kind of between the two of us, we worked out a good train. I worked worked out some good training plans and good strategies to um, to move forward in um, in that aspect. So. Yeah, quite fortunate to have him on board as well. So um, that's awesome, mate. So obviously, uh, you guys have got a good thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sort of. I, I actually gave him a bit of help when he took on the coast to coast. I think it was back in two thousand and two thousand and eleven. We've sort of stayed in touch ever since, and um, it's been a really nice relationship. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Anyone else you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, my mum. Hi, mum. She's she's a great great support crew on the day. Um, very patient. Multi-sport's not, not something um, you can do alone. Um, and quite often, it's your your family members that um, that do end up helping you. Um, they're the only ones who will put up with you coming home grumpy at the end of the day after all your training, and who have the patience to um, drop you off up the river. So, yep, it's always it's a really important thing to be grateful for your family members as well, because they are yeah they are the ones who got to deal with you. When and when you're at your best and your worst, dead right there, mate. You're dead right there. Awesome, Sam. Hey, thanks so much for uh, taking the time out to have a chat, and um, best of luck with everything in the future. And we'll yeah, keep in touch, mate. Yeah, thanks very much, Manny. Much appreciated. you enjoyed that interview if you've got any other questions for sam feel free to post a message uh, to leave a voice message and what we'll do is if you've got any more i'll try and get in touch with sam again and get another interview out of him i found that interview really interesting especially when sam was talking about his psychological or mental approach to racing and how he trains his mind as well as his body to really focus in on giving 100% on the day. So there you have it. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast. Please remember to like, comment, subscribe, give me a thumbs up. And if you've got a question, make sure you send me in a voice message. And you can do that over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website under the podcast tab. I really want to hear from you so I can keep giving you the good information so you can train hard 
but most importantly, train smart.